Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and this week's episode features trash sculpture artist Stephanie Hongo of Sugar Fox. I've been loving all of the advice from all the various artists I've been interviewing lately on this podcast, you know, getting away from my bread and butter, which is murals, which is always a good conversation, but branching out to chat with these digital artists and gallery owners and people like Stephanie who creates trash sculptures has been eye-opening to all of the many directions one can take with your art career. You know, today you'll hear us talk about all the hurdles that come with creating something unique, you know, shipping issues, sh- social acceptance, and being put into a categorical box are just a few of the things that we cover in our chat, but let me know what you think about this week's episode with Stephanie Hongo of Sugar Fox. Hello, we are here with Stephanie of Sugar Fox, and I'm so excited to hear about all the things that you're doing with these trash sculptures. I've just started getting into sculpture making, and it is so hard. It's so much harder than I thought it was. So I have, I commend you for doing what you're doing, but can you give us a bit of a background about how you got into this very unique niche? Well, for starters, thank you so much for having me on. So it kind of all started sort of out of necessity a little bit. I had a full-time job. I had it for about five years. I loved it when I first started. And then over time, I gradually started to dislike it. And then I, it just tanked at the end. I hated it. And as an artist, I'm sure you know, there's only a limited amount of stuff out there for artists, especially kind of in the terms of what I do and what it seems like you do as well, like fine art. A lot of it is digital-based and I don't have any of that, that skill set. So uh, when I was looking for other jobs, nothing really was presenting itself. And I really did want to leave. So I kind of just all of a sudden just quit, just up and quit without anything lined up. And, uh, you know, it just kind of became apparent that I would have to figure something out. And as an artist, I've always sort of fallen back on my ability to make things. So I was like, all right, well, let's, let's just try to be a freelance artist and see how that goes. So for a little bit, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll be a muralist or I'll do painting and all that kind of stuff. And then as a muralist, you have to have that commissioned by someone. You can't just go painting people's walls. So without a portfolio, like I had done murals, but not enough for like a, a solid portfolio. So without that kind of work being available to me, I started thinking, okay, I just got to make stuff that I can sell. So um, are you familiar with Bordalo? No. So he's an artist in Europe. He makes these large, grand trash installation pieces, murals on the sides of like large buildings. And I've been following him for quite some time. Love his work. And I thought to myself, like, that is the coolest work I've ever seen. And I know I can do a version of it, obviously nothing like what he does, but I was like, I know I can do this. So I was thinking to myself, okay, well, sculpture would be really great, but the amount of money it takes for supplies, I didn't have a job. So I was like, you know what? Trash is in surplus. It's free. Maybe I can make something like what Bordalo does in a smaller scale and then sell those pieces. So I made a blue deer that I named Yondu. That was my very first trash piece. And that one I put up for sale. It did not sell. 
but I loved it. And I felt, I just, I felt super fulfilled after doing that work. It was the first thing I'd ever really made on my own that I thought was like just this really dope art form that I was like, I would absolutely love to continue doing this. So after I made that one, even though it didn't sell, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is the most fun I've ever had creating anything. So I just kept making them gradually the smaller ones. Cause they, I, I went a little smaller after that one, the smaller ones started to sell, which was amazing. And then in between there, I had to get a couple jobs. That wasn't the the final say in, in my career is just being an artist. So I worked a little bit, at a couple different jobs, but when the pandemic hit, I was able to leave. And then I just was able to just plug into doing this full time. And now this is my only gig. This is, this is what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome to see what, how different people are inspired by different artists. And cause now you, you were inspired by him and now so many are inspired by you to try Absolutely. out different things. I had a student in the artist Academy when I first started it, her name was uh, Samantha Weeman, Sam Weeman. And she loved to do that sort of thing too. She would take like old fan blades and yeah. paint on them and just do like hubcaps and just do a bunch of different stuff that yeah. I, I had never seen before. It's just, yeah. it's, it's unique honestly I get that question a lot but truly if you think about it everyone has junk everyone especially plastic junk like people are just totally willing to just be like hey you want you want bottle caps do you want Tupperware I've got broken toys so I get it from I really only need to ask like my friends and family and that's basically got me in enough junk that I don't need to go anywhere else. But occasionally after doing this for five years, I've noticed that there's certain materials that I will always use and that I want above everything else. So if I'm ever looking for those materials, so for example, like basketballs, I always use plastic tubing, extension cords, things like that. I love LOL doll balls. I don't know if you know what those are, but they're amazing for what it's like these, this stupid toy. It's, it comes in a, in a sphere and I think that the, the ball plays absolutely no part in the toy itself. It's just the packaging. But it's this plastic that's easy to cut. It holds paint really well. And it's a sphere. So pretty much all those things I make are animals. So these they're organic shapes. So rounded shapes really work super well. So I use those all the time. But when I'm looking for specifics like that, sometimes I'll go on my town Facebook group and I'll be like, hey, anyone throwing my basketballs? And people are usually just like, yeah, you can come scoop it at this address. And it's really easy to find junk. I don't have to go looking very far if I ever go looking at all. Yeah. I was watching one of your videos and you were explaining how you wanted, I think it was a piece of hair on the mm-hmm. horse. And yes. you, you want, you knew you wanted it to be a certain texture yeah. and through experience. So how did, how, what is your thought process like going into creating these things? Do you sketch it out first or? So since it's all animals for the most part, I don't sketch out like a a concept of it. What I'll do instead is I'll go online and I'll find basically a pose, like a composition that I really love of that particular animal that I'm going to emulate while I'm building it. It works really well to try to find like a 3D model, but I don't always have that. I've only had that for a couple of the bigger builds that I've done. Usually I work from photographs. So I'll find a bunch of photos of that animal. And then on the board that I'm sculpting it on, I'll sketch basically what what it looks like. And then I'll work from there. But there's no preliminary sketch ahead of time of what I think the sculpture will look like just because it's essentially I'm just trying to copy like a real animal. So that's basically my sketch. Perfect. So that makes a lot of sense. So why, why would you sketch it when you have a perfectly good reference? <laughs> right. right. 
Right. It's a little bit different. Like I did, um, I did a, a mural installation for the town of Bristol, Connecticut for their parks uh, department uh, it's in a public pool. So for that one, I did a sketch because that involved doing, you know, several different animals on a mural. So it was something that they needed a concept. But when I was doing like the dolphin piece on it, there's no reason to sketch out the dolphin. Like I just look at a picture of a dolphin. Yeah. How are these people finding you to commission you to do stuff like this? You know, right now, I got to say my love letter to Instagram, it's like the most instrumental thing for like, I, I don't know what I would have done without Instagram because that's really where all of it is. The following building was a little tricky in the beginning, but once I started building a following, that's where all of the business basically is. That's where people find me. That's where they follow me. That's where I post my work when it becomes available for the first time. So Instagram is really where it's at. I did most of the building of my following on Instagram by using Facebook. So I went into Facebook art groups and not all of them are saying there's, you know, there's rules in all these different groups. Some of them won't allow you to share hyperlinks. Some of them won't allow you to share anything for sale. So you got to look at the rules for groups, but any group that allowed me to do link sharing and that allowed me to market myself. Cause a lot of them are like, no self-promotion. So if you're allowed to market yourself and link share, I went on any Facebook group that seem like that my work made sense. So like upcycling groups, artist groups, all these different groups on Facebook that pertain to what I do. And I just shared my work and I was like, this is my page. If you're interested, please follow. And and that really was the main way that I built my following on Instagram. I don't believe in paying for followers. I don't believe in paying for promotions, you know, that kind of stuff. I want it to be all organic. So that was the way that I was able to go about doing it. Yeah, as and as you're talking, I'm like, oh, that would be such a good thing for me to do. do yeah, absolutely. These, these artist groups. So do whenever you're searching for artist groups to find, I, I imagine you just kind of type in artist or yeah, painter or thousands of them, thousands of them. And I just I I joined everyone that makes sense. And you know, every couple of months I'll just share my stuff. And you just, you know, it's kind of a, a nice way to just continuously have a steady stream of like a couple people here and there following. Home for Peculiar Artists on Instagram has like half a million followers. And that is the one that I would recommend the most. They're extremely friendly. The group is, is just the community that they've built on there. The admins are great. They do a good job of policing everything. Their, their rules are very specific, but they're very fair, I think. Okay, home home for peculiar artists. Yeah, I am writing this down, and I yep. join, and I'm excited <laughs> to see your stuff in there. And I'm going to post in there. Yeah, so. I definitely recommend it. They're great. Okay, perfect. Oh, my head is spinning with like ways to promote like art and the academy and all the things like getting into these art groups. Of course, like how did you start? Well, how did you get like the bulk of of the fall? You haven't like I was looking at your numbers. You're so close to 100k. That's dope, <laughs> right? Yeah, I yeah. So I have been just been growing it for about five years now and yeah. reels. So I had probably 50,000 followers when after like a couple years of growing and then ever or maybe like 40, 50. But then after that real, as soon as reels came out, I've gained like 50,000 followers. And just in the past month, I, I went from 75,000 to almost a hundred thousand. Wow. Like, and That's it's so, awesome. yeah, but for like a year and a half, I was stuck at like 75,000 and I'm like, well, eh, whatever, you know, it, this is enough. Like, I'm, yeah. It's not like I'm going to reach 
forever. But then it just a couple like had three reels hit and they each got about a million views. Wow. And yeah, and people just follow. And I don't That's know that awesome. I've seen the funny the funny thing is that I don't know that I've seen like an uh increase in comments or likes really. And you'd think that you would. Yeah. So but you never know where a customer is gonna come from. So that there's probably a customer in there. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. I've noticed interest in my work on Instagram has only risen. Like my selling of work has been consistent and positive and great. So I have no complaints there, but I have noticed engagement on Instagram has dropped in the past, like six months, I want to say significantly less likes and comments than it was and I have more followers now. So it's just weird. I think it's just because like followers aren't seeing a lot of the posts. Yeah. And if I post a photo, it's not getting anything. Like yeah. it's, it's, but if I post a reel, that is the I, only yeah. way that I'm getting attention. You know, from. it does seem like they're trying to be like TikTok. So they're really, that's where people are. They're just like scrolling through and they're only watching videos. I agree. I've seen that too. Yeah. I started out on TikTok a couple of years ago. I got in kind of early and just had great success with it. And now in the last year, TikTok is like, burnt. no. Oh, <laughs> is it? Like, yeah. For really? Me, for me anyway. But I've heard other artists are doing really well at it. I've migrated back to Instagram because that's where I yeah. see most of the stuff coming from. But. You know, I way prefer Instagram. That's my favorite platform for sharing. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's so good for what I do and for what you do as well. It just, it fits perfectly. I don't like the TikTok platform at all. I've tried using it and I couldn't get into it. And I just, I should keep trying, but I just kind of gave up and then I I should go back though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's really where you put your effort into. That's I like, know. I, I like I gained like I like four hundred thousand on TikTok, which is crazy. But it's it, awesome. but I'm just not getting as much stuff. I don't know. I I sure. need to again. I we need to be posting in Facebook groups. We need yeah, to be like, doing reels and TikTok. I go everywhere. How did you get this started? So did did you first start? by doing a couple of sculptures on your own and then people started asking yeah. for them or do you do do you create most of them or is it commission based like are, are people being like I want horses or husbands? yeah so I would say for the first year it was just me making what I wanted to make for the most part and then about a year into it when I started kind of building a little bit of a following it like the sale of what I was making on my own just kind of stopped, but there was a great interest in commissions. I had nothing but commissions. It was just people being like, I want a chameleon. I want a horse. I want a shark. That was it. So I was taking those on. That's been like the bulk of what I've made in my career has been commissions. But then it got to the point where there were so many that I had to close them and just kind of keep my books delegated to a certain amount of people at a time. And then in doing that, I started to notice as my books were closed and I was just kind of making stuff that seemed fun that now it was selling again, like the kind of stuff that I just wanted to make on my own. So once that started happening, I was like, well, I don't have to take commissions. I'm not going to because yeah. there have been so many. So and like the bulk, the lion's share of what I've gotten in terms of clients and followers have been fabulous. Absolutely lovely, amazing, beautiful people. But the one little commission that you get that like the person's super difficult, you're just like, oh no, never again. Never, why did I take this? So it's like the rotten apples ruin it for everybody. And it makes it so that I'm just like, I don't, you never know how someone's going to be ahead of time. And then they could end up being crazy difficult. You could end up feeling very disappointed with what you produce for them. And it could end up being this slippery slope of just this self-hatred because... 
it's not the fun, easy, wonderful work that it's supposed to be. It's a labor and it's shitty. And I just, I don't want to have to, to go down that road if I can avoid it. So for sure. We'll see. (laughs) I I can, as soon as you said that, I'm like, I like immediately popped up. There's, I have two customers right now who were on our fourth round of sketches and they changed it completely three times. And I'm like, Okay, like, shoot me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, those I'm like, I'm so, sort of scared to paint for them because they're so particular. And yeah. Right. But it's, it's, and then there's some that are just like, oh, thank you so much. I loved it. No, this is great. Like, and yeah. do zero critiques. And it's like, oh, right. Okay, great. And like, that's the thing about it. I understand because not every artist even is lucky enough to have people wanting to commission work from them. So I understand from one of those artists, like how it might sound to have someone be like, I don't want to do commissions, but if you can avoid it, don't do commissions. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so much fun using your own creativity. Although I can kind of get stuck sometimes and if I don't have to show up on site to a mural location, it's kind of hard for me to get myself motivated to yeah. paint around the house. Do you have any tips for me for that? Just, just like I, to create on your own terms. Well, cause I get it. Like that's such a common, that's the biggest thing I think among artists that you talk about is just like, what if it's not there? Like, what if you just don't want to do, and then you're just wasting your time and you're just staring at a, a paper or canvas or a board or whatever you work on. What I do usually, like I have a routine every morning. I get up, I have my coffee, I do a run, and then I make myself sit in my workspace. Even if I'm not feeling it, I'll just sit down there and I'll look at the stuff I've got. I'll I'll like look at my phone. I'll look at, like since I do mostly animal sculptures, I will just Google animal art and I'll just look at like the wide range of like paintings from pottery to murals to all the stuff that people have done based around animals. And sometimes that will get my creative juices flowing for, you know, okay, this really beautiful unicorn that they did with these colors. Wouldn't that be cool to do those colors as a fish or, you know, whatever it might be. So sometimes looking at other people's work or just looking at pictures of animals is helpful in getting a little bit of creativity flowing. I think that as long as you're not pulling and plagiarizing and completely biting someone's style. Looking at other people's work has been a huge motivator for me. Like Bordalo's work is the reason why I do this. Like when I, when I was following him and looking at all the stuff that he does, I was just like, like I said, I know that I can do some version of this. I just, I'm excited to try it. So true. How are you pricing your stuff? So I think that's tricky because I get that question a lot from people, especially like new artists trying to figure out how to price their work. I think that when you're new, it's almost impossible to give people that advice. They have to just kind of go with what they think. Like it's so hard from one person to another. Initially, I was pricing it way lower than what I should have. And that's just because I needed to eat. So I'm just like, this has to sell. So whatever I think that I can sell this at, that... um doesn't make me feel like I've wasted my time. I was willing to sell it at. But now that it's gotten to a point where I'm selling it consistently, basically, I just kind of look at size, the effort that I put into it, whether or not I got something out of it or if it took away from me, other pieces that are similar in size and quality, what they sell at, just kind of look at it in comparisons to there. I've never really been a a believer in selling my work uh, based on a, a specific hourly rate. And that's mostly just because I am a fast worker for the most part. And I do put 
all of my time into building and then I stop and then all of my, so it's just like, it doesn't make sense for me to do an hourly rate and size two doesn't really make sense either for what I do because like, you know, if I'm making something that a big bulk of it is just a part of its tail or something and you're putting it on a board that's huge, but there's not really like the bulk of the sculpture isn't taking up the size of the full space you know, size doesn't really make sense to charge it that way either. So at this point, it's been kind of a scale of like, what did that one sell for? And is it comparable to this? And then once I had that kind of bulk of work sold where I could have a comparison, then it became a little easier to price things. In the beginning, it was difficult. I had to just basically guess and then see if it sold. And then if it did, I was like, okay, so I know that someone will buy it at that. So maybe we raise it a little bit the next time and see if it sells. And then I did that gradually for a while. So I couldn't even begin to give you advice, or not you, but like whoever advice for selling to begin with. I think it's a lot easier once you sold a couple of things. For sure. For sure. Le- learning by doing. Yeah. I am. Do you have a project in mind, like a giant life-size elephant or something that you want to do one day? I, yeah, I do. <laughs> for about five years, actually, since the beginning, since the very beginning of me doing this, I've wanted to make a very, 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 very big wyvern. Do you know what that is? No. So it's a dragon, but it's specifically a dragon that has wings instead of front arms like basically wings and then legs, not the four legs and two wings or, you know, like there's a lot of different types of dragons. So specifically the wyvern, just because I like the silhouette, I want to make it huge. But I just, number one, I don't even know how I would begin to go about doing that based on the space that I have now. I think I'd need to have like a bigger garage space to work in. And number two, I need to do a little more work with figuring out how to engineer something like that. I just made actually a pretty large elephant. I named it Jericho. It was five feet by five feet. And that one is, I think, about as big as I can get without trying to devise some sort of armature to go inside it. Because it was just the mass of it. I was just afraid with, because I work with plastics. It's not like it's metal that's welded together. So I think there's only so much strength that can be had, but just plastic on plastic. So I think I, I would need either a metal or a wooden armature inside to do it that big. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask because I'm, so I'm in the middle of doing this just fun home project. I saw a table and it's a hippo (laughs) and the hippo, and then you have the table and then you have the head of the hippo on the top. So like the last table is like water. Looks like, like, yes. Yes. Yeah. So I want to do it. I saw one guy carved it out of wood or something. I was like, I don't want to do wood. So I'm going to do like mold and stuff. So I started to do foam and then aluminum foil and then I'm gonna do mold over it but I'm having a hard time with just the structure of like finding a good molding and just it's, it's so much more and also like weighting it to the ground yeah. using like somebody recommended to do concrete and then they're like but you're gonna have to put some kind of structure in there yeah. so it doesn't so how how do you put yours together because I'm already like going through the process of sculpting of okay the inside the outside what holds it together <laughs> So, yeah, I think, so the easiest thing to do, I typically, when they ask me that or people, anyone asks me that, I try to show them pictures because I think it's a lot easier to see it than it is to actually physically or physically see it versus explain it. But basically I try to start with my foundation pieces are not like leaning into the shape at all. They're just basically there for mass. So I'll find something that's like a, a, a large bowl and it's, let's say I'm building a lion head. So the large bowl is kind of just building mass out. So that way, when I get to the things like the snout and the eyes, they are located in space where they should be. 
lifted away from the board. So typically I'll, I'll work from like the furthest part back and I'll move forward. So the ears, I need to make sure that I have enough space between the neck, which I've put on the board, built out where the snout's going to be. And then here are the eyes, which are, uh, you know, on a plane that's a little further back from the nose. It's a lot of, it's so many moving parts. And that's why making videos is tricky for me because unlike doing like a, a time lapse where you've got the camera set up and, you know, you're painting and you got it all set up here. When I work, not only am I getting up and down a million times to sift through a pile of rubble, but I'm also like turning this thing 360, lifting it up, holding it back, looking at a piece of paper. Like, you know, they just like nothing stays in the same place. I'm, I'm all over the place. So it's really hard for me to capture it, but I've been trying to get a time lapse of my work for five years and I've never succeeded in getting a full one. It's just, I've pretty much given up at this point. <laughs> That's awesome. How do you yeah. transport this stuff? So shipping is a bear. That is by and large my least favorite part of doing this full-time is shipping. Thank goodness my boyfriend is very good with woodworking. So he's massively instrumental in helping me do that. He helps me do the crates. Basically, every piece that I ship has a custom crate that I build with it. So the thing about it, though, is that since it's made out of plastic, I have no faith in packing materials and keeping it safe. I'm afraid that not only will it potentially break, but I'm afraid of the paint chipping if there's any pressure put on the piece. So basically what I'll do is I'll build it so that way it's flat down on the, the back of the crate, the bottom of the crate. And then he and I will basically make corners and edges to put around the sides and like hold it down by the corners onto the, the bottom of the crate. So that way, if it gets you know flipped around, it just basically held onto the back of the crate the whole time. So it's not going to get damaged. So anytime I ship things, I give the person that is, that's purchased it this extensive, like very detailed instructions on what to do on how to uncrate it. But it's a part of this job that I, I do not like, but it's, you know, it's a, a necessary part of it. Yeah. I figured out, thankfully, it took a while to get the system down, but it, it seems to be working. Okay. The cost of shipping too, I can't imagine. Like, because I yeah. shipped a couple canvases, like from here to California, it was from Missouri to California. It's like, I mean, it's quite a bit just, just yeah. for a canvas. Yeah. What did you use when you shipped? Do you remember? I have, when it's big enough, like I have to use UPS ground or FedEx. I wish USPS would do it, but they, the size. So I've tried all of it. I went looking, I've asked so many opinions about shipping because it's such a bear. Initially I was using FedEx and then they straight up lost one of my sculptures. So I just never again, after that happened, I was like, I'm never going back to FedEx. So I went exclusively UPS, but like you said, it's crazy expensive. So I was, I was just not totally satisfied with that's my only option. And asking on Facebook, I had a woman recommend parcel path to me, oh. which is UPS. It's UPS. It's uh, USPS. It's FedEx. Actually, I don't know if it's FedEx, but it's mainly UPS, but it's like a service that you go through and it cuts the cost like in half. Parcel pass. Parcel okay. pass. It's the only thing I use Parcel now. Path. Yeah. Parcel pass. Okay. Path, I'm yeah. making a note of this. Thank it's you. Great. Yeah, absolutely. It changed everything for me because I, it was making me feel horrible that like I'm selling a piece for, you know, let's call it a thousand dollars. Someone wants to buy it, but I find out they're across the country. And then I tell them that shipping is going to be 800 and they're just like, oh, 
well, it's basically the cost of the piece. So I don't think I can do that. But now with this, it's made it so that way something that would cost like $800 is probably like 300, which is a huge savings. Yeah. It's wow. Changed it completely. So it's still expensive, but it's nowhere near what it was. Okay, perfect. I'm actually about ready to ship some like a heavy thing and I will check into that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, do it. Do it. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Well, any kind of advice that you have for artists who are just starting out or are, you know, going through those beginning stages and it's tough, like any like what what advice has helped you get started? I would say number one, make what you like. Don't make what you think is gonna sell. So I initially, I was, I was just kind of trying to pander a little bit. I was just like, I need to sell and I need to make what I think, you know, people will buy. And then when I started really just making what I like, if I like it, someone else is going to like it. And they're probably going to like it even more because I've put more effort and heart into it. So definitely make what you like and don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> your method is different. And I usually people who, you know, people who are doing different, unique things, I'm sure there's a lot of criticism that comes with that, right? There, they- you know, honestly, the biggest thing that I, I get, which isn't really even too, too often, but I, I'm very careful about aligning myself with eco artists. I think that what I do and the fact that I'm saving all of this from ending up in a landfill is beautiful. I'm so proud of that. I love it. That is, I want to promote that and make that the message and make, make that well known, but I'm not an eco artist. I use spray paint and the, you know, the efforts of making a really cool sculpture come over the effort to recycle. So if I think that I don't have the correct thing, this hasn't happened yet. I've been able to get away with using just found items, but if I really decided that I'm making a sculpture and it would look better for me to go out and buy whatever to add to this. I would do that over making sure that the message stays only recycled things because my message and my, my goal is to make really cool art from something, you know, recyclable source. I think that's a cool part of it, but it's mostly that it's assemblage. So I've gotten a lot of people that just kind of like lash out. They're like, if you're using spray paint. You can call yourself an eco artist, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I've never, you've called me that. I, I've never said that. So that's really the main thing that I get. People getting up in arms because they're like, how dare you use spray paint? But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm going to continue to do it this way unless I find something that works just as well. If I found a paint that worked as well as spray paint, but it was eco-friendly, I would absolutely switch. But I haven't yet. It's just, it's, it's plastic. So there's only so many paints that will adhere to it. So my choices are limited there. And I do want to paint them. People have asked me if I want to leave them raw. And they do look cool that way. But I want them to look like the animal. And they don't look like the animal until I paint them. So until I feel differently about it, I could end up finding that I make a piece one day that I'm just like, nope, it feels done. It feels the way that I want it to feel before I paint it. In that case, I would absolutely leave it unpainted. But not for now. I just, I prefer to paint them. I think they look better painted, but it keeps me from being in the eco category. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have even thought about that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny. The, the little things you run into when you go down a rabbit hole. The internet. <laughs> <laughs> the internet. Yeah. Kids on TikTok, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's all I have for today. But thank you so much for taking the time out of your Monday. To yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. If you've liked this episode and you've liked the tips and inspiration that you've gotten from it, then I want to encourage you to join our Artist Academy Advanced Membership. We are currently going through the yearly fourth quarter success plan designed to help you, the artist in need of a little marketing direction, make money with your art during the most profitable time of year. If there's ever a time to double down on your art business efforts with promoting and pitching and sending out the emails that you know you need to send out (laughs) and creating holiday window art and getting clear on what you're offering this holiday season and communicating that effectively with your audience, now is that time. Every year I double down on my efforts to sell during the fourth quarter and every year I get better and better at it and make even more money than any year prior. For example, like my yearly sale where I started off making $1,000 in one day the first year I tried this. Then the next year got even better, tweaked my messaging a little bit and made $3,000 in one day. And then the following year made $5,000 in one day selling the art that was just sitting on my website that nobody had yet purchased just by enhancing my marketing and promotion efforts with this fourth quarter success plan. Every year I give you the exact game plan that I'm using refined by years past in the form of step-by-step videos and templates for you to use to sell your unique art. Whether it be originals, prints, or my favorite, murals. I make it really easy for you (laughs) to get some help with your art business plan during this very timely part of the year. Go to artistacademy.co. That's artistacademy.co or click the link below in the notes to apply and join our group of highly encouraging artists from all over the world. Again, it's artistacademy.co and I'll see you inside the membership for our fourth quarter success plan.